We are a nation that talks a lot about freedom. We talk about being founded on the idea of freedom. And we, we hear a lot of, of a conversation about freedom. And there is something about that, that yearning, that desire for freedom, that it's not just about our nation, but it's about every single person that's been put into us by God. I'm convinced that God created us, gave us DNA that yearns for freedom. Because when we read the Genesis story, we find God saying to Adam and Eve, in essence, here's everything I've created. It's yours. You are free to do with it. You're free to nurture it. You are free to live in it. You are free to, to, uh, to continue to restore it and work it. And there's this great sense of freedom that God gives to Adam and Eve. It is only after sin enters the picture that we start talking about restriction and bondage. And it's out of that the struggle of our sinful nature that we have made so many decisions that turn us away from freedom into bondage. But we still have this yearning in us to want freedom. But we wrestled with it. Despite what God offers us, we are continually choosing bondage over freedom. And in this letter to the Galatian churches, Paul says to them over and over again, you've been set free in Christ. Why do you keep going back to bondage? Christ has given you freedom in him. Why do you keep choosing bondage? And in their situation, there have been people from the Jerusalem church that have come to Galatia and have said... The only way you can really know Christ, the only way that you can truly be a a blessed follower of Jesus is if you obey the law, follow the rules, connect with the formulas. And Paul keeps saying to them again and again, that's not freedom, that's bondage. You are free from all of that. You don't have to worry about all of that. You are free. And then we come to, so four and a half chapters, Paul's been saying that. You come to verse 13 of chapter 5, and Paul says, Now, now that you fully understand that you are completely free in Christ. No rules, no bondage, no laws, none of that. Now that you know that, let me flip the coin over. And tell you, don't use your freedom selfishly. Because in essence, that's not freedom either. That's bondage. It's hard for us to see that. Because we think freedom is, I do what I want, when I want, how I want, to whomever I want. That's freedom. Freedom is, no one can tell me what to do. No one can tell me where to go. That is freedom. And we live in a nation in which we are continually talking about that. We, we file lawsuits so that we have complete freedom. We, we go about all these different things because in the bottom line is freedom means no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm not accountable to anyone. I can do whatever I want. And if Paul had stopped at chapter 5 verse 12, it would have been relatively easy to agree with that perspective. But now he says... Let me condition just a little bit 
actually a lot of it, your freedom. Freedom is not self-serving. Freedom is serving other people. Now, on the surface, that feels like sort of an oxymoron, doesn't it? Because we tend to think freedom and serving are two different things. They are almost mutually exclusive of each other. Because if I'm free, I don't have to serve anybody. And if I'm serving, then I must not be free. And I think Paul would say to us, yes, you're right, except the gospel is a radically different way to think about everything. And this is one of those places. This is one of those places where we come face to face with the truth of the gospel that to serve is to really use our freedom. And to be free is to serve. Freedom is not doing what I want, when I want, with no one else caring anything about anybody else. Freedom in Christ is freedom to serve. Now, we serve in a variety of ways. Sometimes we serve because we feel like we have no choice. We feel forced into serving. Let's be honest, there have been times where all of us struggle with that, where we serve, we do things for other people simply because we feel like we have to. And you can see the skid marks of our heels as we're being drug into those acts of service, right? It's the last thing we want to do. We'd do anything we could to get out of it, but we can't. Maybe we feel God's thumb on us. Maybe we we sense that, you know, people are going to be upset with us. Or maybe we just feel the sense of guilt that we need to serve. And so we do it. And I, I guess that's better than not serving at all, but it's close. I wonder sometimes in the church if maybe our, our greatest struggle with serving in the right spirit is that we do it so that people will know how wonderful we are. Sometimes we serve because we're looking for accolades from people. We're looking for people to tell us, man, you are such an awesome servant. I wish I were like you. And let's again be honest, there are times where all of us do that. Where our act of service, and maybe it's not conscious, maybe it's subconscious, but our act of service is done because we want people to like us. Because we want people to, to, uh, to shelter, uh, to um, offer us accolades, to shower us with accolades, and to tell us how great we are. And it's really about us, not about them. And we fall into that trap as well. The struggle with that is that either one of those ways of serving leads us to some negative consequences. When you serve because you feel forced, because you feel guilty, because you feel like you have no choice, when you serve because you're trying to please people and you want people to like you, inevitably the end of that is that we come around feeling very frustrated and angry and often bitter about our service because people haven't responded the way we wanted them to. We serve people because we want all these accolades and they don't give us the accolades and we grouse and we gripe and we complain about it. Ungrateful people, do you see how much everything we've given up? 
I won't ask us to raise hands about who has wrestled with that, but we've wrestled with that. And when you feel like you are forced to serve, there is this inner spirit of resentment that you can't help but feel. I think that's why Paul says in verse 15, if if you don't serve the way you're supposed to, you end up biting, devouring, consuming each other. Interesting, all the words he uses are they're eating words. Right? We eat each other up. Some of the words used are describing often a snake bite. It's, it's the Pharisees stealing the homes of the widows. It's consuming. It's grabbing. I don't know if Paul was trying to make a little inside joke with the, the, Judy, the people from Jerusalem because a lot of the Jewish laws are dietary laws. What you can eat, what you can't eat, how you fix it. And maybe this was just a little jab to them about that. But I suspect it's probably more about just the fact of how we view food as something that we consume often without even thinking about it. My extended family has a bad habit of eating fast. Uh, We can usually eat other people more quickly under the table than you can imagine. And we always end up, when we're in a large group gathering, you can tell the people who are from my side of the family and people who aren't because we're all done and they're still going. I, I think I trace it back to my grandmother, who was an awesome cook, but she was the fastest eater I have ever seen in my life. I mean, when she sat down at the table, it was head down, spoon and fork going, and that's it. We don't really have time to converse. We're not going to talk. We're not going to do anything. We are here to, for one purpose, that is to eat this food as fast as we can. And the thing is, and, and that sort of gets ingrained in you, the thing that we always laughed about is that when she was done, she assumed everyone else was done. And so... She'd be done, and the next thing, your plate was gone. Whether you were finished or not. I mean, she's ready. Let's go. I got dessert. Let's move on. You know, we have things to do here. And what, what, as I've thought about that, I realized that you never take the time to really savor the food. And you don't take time to really think about how much has gone into preparing the food. It's just something that you consume as quickly as you can. And I think Paul is saying, when your spirit and your attitude about serving isn't what it should be, your whole mindset is about consuming, and often it's consuming each other. We do it without thought. We often do it without conscience. Because we're thinking more about ourselves, gratifying ourselves, and it's not just about food. And that's why Paul says... When we serve, when you're really free and you're serving, you serve in love. That's the defining characteristic of our service. It is service in love. That's what it means to serve in freedom. And to to bolster his point, he says in verse 14, if you want to talk about the law, if the law is so important to you, you love the law, the law is, is where you want to focus, fine, let's talk about the law. And he says, the essence of the law, the heart of the law, the purpose of the law is love. He says that in Romans 13. He's quoting Jesus, who says in Matthew 22, when asked, what's the greatest commandment? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And that may make us think this is just a New Testament concept. It's something that people finally came to, but it's not. We saw in the book of Leviticus that we just read. You have all these obligations, all these things about ways about how people live together, how you glean your field, the way you you witness in a court of law, how you treat people who work for you, all of these things about relationships. My Bible has a heading about uh, conditions of holiness. And you get to the end of it and he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm the Lord. This is a biblical concept. It didn't just start with Jesus. This has been God's intent all along. That was the intent of the law from the beginning. All of the things that God did for Israel, all the ways in which he helped them live was about love. His love for them, their love for him, their love for each other. And Paul brings us back to that and says in freedom, if you're truly free, then you serve in a spirit of love. Sometimes we get confused about what it means to love. I think the best definition I've seen ever seen of love is the one that Scott Peck gives us in his book, The Road Less Traveled. He says, love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of one's own or another's spiritual growth. Love is the will. It's always a decision we make. It is never just a feeling. It's never something we do when it's convenient for us. It is a decision that we make. You see Jesus making that decision over and over again. It is something that we do that extends beyond what is comfortable. We extend ourselves. And that means we're thinking more about other people than ourselves. To extend ourselves automatically involves risk. And love is always about risk. I am not sure you can truly love without risking. I mean, what kind of love is it if we, if we never take a risk to share it and to live it. Love is thinking about other people. It's giving our attention to people. It's listening to people. It's, it's being care, caring as much about their life as we want them to care about our life. And it has a purpose of spiritual growth. And we might often think of that as just something personal, making us feel better. It is about the flourishing that God created us to experience. It is about drawing people to Jesus, helping people understand who God is. That is the purpose of love, to help people fully experience, be fully engaged with Christ. And that means when we think about what, how do we respond to this person? What do we do with this person? What's the most loving thing to do? It comes back to what will help them more effectively experience Jesus. How will they see Jesus? And sometimes that means that we listen. Sometimes it means we confront them. But it's always for the purpose in mind of helping them to know God. To experience God. And that, in order to do that, in order to love that way, we have to give up our freedom. And Paul is saying, when you know you have freedom, you can give up your freedom. Because what you're really doing is modeling the life of Jesus. It's what Paul is saying in Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The one who loved me and gave himself for me. The one who had full freedom. No one had more freedom than Jesus. And what does he do with it? He gives. He loves. He serves. He sacrifices. The problem that we encounter with this, this, this section of Galatians with, with us is that it, it can easily feel as if it has become a rule to replace the other rules. And in one sense, it has. He says, here's the law, love your neighbor. But in another sense, it's not. Because it is possible only, only, only through the grace of God in Christ. He's not saying to anyone, he's not saying to people who don't know Jesus, love your neighbors as you love yourself. He's saying to people who are followers of Jesus, love your neighbors, you love yourself. And why is that different? Because you can only love your neighbors, you love yourself. If you know who you are in Christ. It's not something we manufacture. It is something that we choose to do because we know who we are in Christ. Because our identity is in Christ. Because we have come to realize that we are children of God. We're children of God. And as it says in chapter 4, we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can have a relationship, an intimacy with God in a way that changes how we think about our lives. I think a lot of our struggle is that, is that we have this zero-sum mentality about life. Andy Krauss talks about this in one of his books. And he's talking about power, but I think it applies to love and to, and to serving as well. And he says, you know, the zero-sum idea is, so I have $20 and I give you $20. I have less, you have more. But the amount, total amount stays the same. And for me to serve you, for me to give to you, means that I am going to lose and you are going to win. And quite frankly, we've been raised all of our lives to say, how can we avoid losing? And so we wrestle with that. But the radical nature of the gospel is that when we give away power, when we give away love, when we serve, it's not a zero-sum exchange. It is a multiplication process. When we give away love, we don't have less love. It actually creates more love in us. Because the more we love, the more we understand what love can do. And the more we love, the more room in our hearts there is for God to fill us with more and more of his love. This unending love. And as we serve, we serve. We don't, we don't give, we don't lose ourselves. We gain who we were created to be in Christ. It's what we see in Jesus. No one has more power than Jesus. He says, All authority and power has been given to me. And what does he do with it? He gives it away. Sacrifices, surrenders, serves, loves. And when he gets to the cross, does he have less power? No. 
has all the power he ever had. It's just power to give, power to sacrifice, power to love. And you and I who are children of God can experience that same thing. He really goes back to John 13. Jesus is meeting with the the disciples in the upper room. And John says, Jesus, knowing that he had come from God and was returning to God. Coming from the Father and returning to the Father. Knowing who he was in the Father. Took up a towel and a basin of water. And began washing his disciples' feet. When we know who we are in Christ, it changes everything. And every time we choose to serve one another in love, we are declaring that God is who he says he is. And that we are children of God. And that we are free to give away our freedom. So what might God be saying to you as you think about how he's calling you to serve in love? Is it a reminder that you're a child of God? Is it a call to to find true freedom in giving up freedom? Is it a call to follow him wherever, however he may lead you? I read a parable this week. Apocryphal, of course, it's not in the scriptures. But it intrigued me. Jesus is out meeting with his disciples one day in the morning. He says to them, um, pick up a stone. They all pick up a stone. Peter, being the practical one that he is, picks up the smallest stone he can find. Puts it in his pocket. Jesus says, follow me. And they take off walking. And when it comes time for lunch, he has them sit in a circle. And he miraculously turns those stones into bread. Peter's lunch goes pretty fast. After lunch, Jesus says, pick up another stone. You can see the light go on in Peter's mind. I know where this is going. He picks up the largest stone he can carry. He heaves that thing on his back and he's carrying, can barely carry it under low, but he's thinking, I can't wait till dinner time. And they make their way and a few hours later, Jesus stops them and they're by a river. And he just says to them, take your stone and throw it into the water. Take your stone, throw it in the water. They throw it in the water. And Jesus says, okay, now come follow me. They're all looking at Jesus, particularly Peter, a bit dumbfounded and confused and thinking, what was that just for? What was that about? What purpose did that serve? And Jesus turns back to them and he says, ask them one question. He said, who did you pick up the stone for? 
Come follow me. What's our freedom for? Is it for us? For Christ? Serving us, serving others? Father, give us grace to know that we're your children. Help us to experience freedom in such a way that we are free to serve in love and find joy. Amen.